Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Well, it is so good to be with you today. Does it feel like summer's finally here or what? I mean, definitely weeks in the 90 degrees, that'll, that'll, that'll do that. And so thank the good Lord for things like swimming pools and things that can help us to, to cool off. And um, we're launching into a new summer series today that I'm excited to tell you about. But today, I want to begin by asking if you have been tracking with following this guy. Right? Any Jeopardy fans here? Anybody tracking with this? Yeah? A lot of folks. I mean, this guy is, he's remarkable. James Holzauer, I mean, he is on the verge of making Jeopardy history. He is crushing his opponents in this game. And obviously, you can see that he's well over $2 million. He's coming up on uh, the goal. He's, he's winning far more per game than anybody who's ever done this before. He's absolutely fearless when it comes to betting money, which is, makes for really good television. And when you look at the analytics of what's happening with him, the, the thing that amazes me the most is what's happening there on kind of the right-hand side, his response accuracy is 97%. So he's faster than you with the, bu- the button, he's smarter than you, and he's richer than you are. And it just, it's so fun to watch him on TV do this. And certainly, if life is a contest of who knows the most and who accumulates the most, this is a guy that you want on your team. But let me ask the question this way. If you're in a position in your life when you're figuring out, is this the right person for you to marry or not? Is James Holzauer the one that you would want to talk to? Or let me ask a question another way. Let's say that your mother is in the hospital and she's on life support and you have some tricky medical decisions that need to be answered. Is James Holzauer the one that you want to consult? Or, or let's say that you've got this situation at work and it's complicated and it's nuanced and it involves a lot of people and so it's kind of messy. Is James the one whose advice that you need? Or maybe you've come to a point in your journey where you want to learn how to pray. Is a Jeopardy champion the one that you need to go sit at his feet and learn how to pray? I don't mean this as an insult to him. He lives in Las Vegas. His job before being a Jeopardy champion is he's an in-sports betting professional. But I think that there's a huge difference between knowledge and wisdom and that there's a lot of questions that can't be answered with a button and don't have an accuracy rating. It's more complicated than that. Life's messier than that. The wisest person that I have ever met is this man. His name was Dallas Willard. I miss him deeply as a friend, as a teacher, 
There are still moments where I want to send off the email or to place the phone call to ask him something. There have been, if you're a part of this church, you've heard me tell stories of my own journey and in some difficult moments how Dallas helped to put the pieces of my soul back together. I have a a document on my computer that's 30 pages, single-spaced, in addition to all the books that he ever wrote. This is just a document that contains sayings and phrases and things that I heard Dallas say in a classroom or one-on-one, things that he taught me. And every once in a while, I open up that document and I pull out a phrase or a saying and I just kind of meditate upon it and try to learn from it because he was so wise. Decided as an exercise this week and thinking about this to just go ahead and put one before you on the front page of, of the first page of the 30 pages there. There's this section on faith and he says this. He says, we often mistake commitment for belief. You can get people to make a commitment to something they don't believe in, but you can't get them to believe it. That's why faith is always a gift. Do you think this is pretty important for a pastor to know? That it's a lot easier for me to, you, to get you to commit to something than it is for you to believe in it. And that part of my goal as a pastor is not just to instill commitment, but to inspire belief. And how faith, whether it's trust between two people or trust with God, or faith is always a gift from God because it can't be coerced, it can't be manipulated. Faith can't be forced. And so there's just one little kernel of truth from the wisdom of Dallas Willard that helps me, I think, to become a better person, a wiser person. According to the Bible, in the Old Testament, the wisest person who has ever lived is a guy by the name of King Solomon. And He's famous, you might recall the the famous story where there's this tragedy and there are these two, you know, moms of of infants and and one of the child children, you know, just tragically dies and the two moms are fighting. Someone's clearly, you know, lying over which one of the baby that's alive is still theirs and Solomon helps to navigate a path where he finds out who the true mother is. He's not just being clever, he's being wise. And there was a time in Solomon's reign when his wisdom, as there was this incredible period of prosperity for God's people, and they built the temple, and things seemed to be flourishing, where they wanted to pass along this wisdom to the next generation. And so they began a journal, a collection of sayings, a document, if you will, of important sayings of Solomon, and then they added to it over time. And they would use this kind of as a manual to help people grow in their wisdom, to help to make sure that the next generation understood the wisdom of God and of reality. And that manual is called the book of Proverbs. And so over the course of this summer, we're launching into a series that we're calling Sacred Soundbites. And in a Twitter age, we're going to look at some tweetable length scriptures of some things that we might learn to help us to grow. And so today's kind of an introduction into the the book of Proverbs, and it's really easy to introduce the book of Proverbs because the book of Proverbs introduces itself. It goes like this. 
the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. All of these words are a variety of synonyms of learning and growing in wisdom. Our girls grew up mostly on the West Coast, and because we hadn't spent any significant time on the East Coast, uh, our children had never been to Washington, D.C. And so last year, uh, we took Danica and Ashby, and we went on a Washington, D.C. tour in the fall over Columbus Day weekend. And of course, there's always the highlights, right? Seeing the Capitol, seeing the White House, the, the monuments, the Smithsonian Museum, all of that's absolutely fantastic. One of my favorite sites in Washington, D.C. is one that a lot of people kind of skip, and it's this building right here. It is the Library of Congress. It's the largest library in the world. This room is absolutely magnificent. This is the reading room. It's only actually open a couple of days of the year, and it happened to be open on the day uh, that we were there. It's only open a couple of days a year to the public. And we went on a journey of kind of exploring the history of this great library. It started in 1815. It kind of came into existence with a donation of 6,487 books from Thomas Jefferson's private library. It's how it got kind of started. And today there's over 38 million books in the Library of Congress. And you can imagine what it's like to, to go there and to engage with it. And we introduced our children to this act right here. This is called the card catalog system. They had never heard of it. They had never seen it. They didn't know anything about it. They really just kind of scratch in their heads. Are you serious? This is how you used to have to look for a book. Yes, this is how you used to have to look for a book. And this was not just any quest for us and just kind of randomly looking through cards because in this stack right here, we found my grandfather's dissertation from when he wrote his PhD. Uh, it's on microfilm. It's not in book form anymore. It's not for sale anymore, if any of you are interested. <laughs> but it was a nice little treasure hunt to find that and to think about the ways that we learn and how it's changed. While we were there, I learned of uh, James Billington, who um, has been the kind of the chief information officer, if you will, of the United States. He's been our head librarian of the Library of Congress since 1987. He was unanimously endorsed to be the head of the Library of Congress. He was unanimously endorsed by the U.S. Senate. I just want to take you back into 1987. There was an age when the Senate could do something unanimously. <laughs> there was a time when that was actually possible. And imagine from 1987 to 2015, the revolution in the information age that has taken place under his watch. Imagine what he has seen that has changed. And in reflecting, getting towards the end of his career, he said this. He said, we live in an infoglut culture. And then he asked this question, but have we become any wiser? And I think if you sit with that question for a little while, the answer is probably no. 
We have more information available. We have more knowledge at our fingertips than ever. The question is, is that knowledge actually translating into wisdom? You know, wisdom is not the kind of thing that you are born with. It is not bestowed upon you when you come into this world. It is not something you can inherit or is bequeathed to you. Jesus, when he was born, he was born as God's son. Our identity is secure as adopted children of Almighty God. That is given to us. It's bestowed upon us. Wisdom is something that has to be experienced and kind of hard-earned over time. It's a skill that is developed. And one of the things that we learn about Jesus is that he has always been God's son, but as a child, we find out in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus actually had to grow or to gain in wisdom, and this is the goal of the book of Proverbs, for you and I to read it and to grow in this kind of skill of not just having knowledge, but knowing what the right thing to do is in the right moment in time. And so today is an introduction. I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about why do we need wisdom, uh, how Proverbs can help us to get wisdom, and where can you start on your journey of wisdom. And so the first thing is why, why do we need wisdom? Why is this such a big deal? Well, there's a, a, a social scientist by the name of Barry Schwartz, and he talks about when you look at society, our society almost always treats people in one of two ways. We treat them in terms of rules and incentives, or the more popularized version of this would be looking at carrots and sticks that we incentivize people to do things and we try to prevent them or regulate them from doing certain things. And that almost all of the way that we relate to one another is organized around this system. So he writes it this way. He says, it's no accident then that our main focus in fixing the recent financial crisis has been more regulation to prevent bad behavior and better crafted incentives to get bankers and brokers to act more in the public interest. It's no accident then that we think that we can get better teaching by requiring teachers to follow scripted curricula tied to standardized tests and by punishing or rewarding them for their students' performance. Rules and incentives won't teach these people the moral skill they will need. Even worse, rules can kill skill and incentives can kill will. When we try to reduce everything to rules and incentives, we're no longer dealing with the complexity of human life. You know, a lot of people, they think of this book in the Bible, and they think of this as kind of glorified rule book in a book of promises or incentives. And to be sure, there are laws in this book. There are thou shall and thou shalt nots. And in addition to that, There are also promises. There are things that we have to long for and to look forward to and things that we can count on in this book. But there's so much more. There is history that we need to remember. There are stories that are meant to, um, you know, kindle our imaginations. There are songs that we need to learn in order to be able to sing and to praise and to pray well. 
In addition to all of that, there is this segment of the Bible that is called wisdom literature or these particular proverbs because we know that not all of life can be reduced to rules and incentives, that that doesn't get us to where we need to be. And so Tim Keller puts it well when he puts it this way. He says, wisdom is making the right choice even when there's no law explicitly telling you to do so. Let me see if I can illustrate this. As someone who's married, there are rules for me as a guy in my marriage of things that are thou shalt and thou shalt not. There's things I'm supposed to do and there's things that I'm not supposed to do, right? Are you tracking with me on this? <laughs> right? There are things I'm supposed to do as a married man, and there are things that I'm not supposed to do as a married man. And they're like, kind of boom, it's like, there, that's it, those are the rules. In addition to that, there are blessings to being married. There are promises that are a part of marriage. There are perks to being married. And there's those things as well, right? Okay? Here's what I'm here to tell you. I can follow all of the rules, and I can reap all of the harvest of the promise of being married, and I can still have a miserable relationship because there's more to a marriage than just rules and incentives, isn't there? Living well in a relationship of a covenant promise, that requires wisdom. And we desperately need it. We need it in this church. We need it in our workplaces. We need it in our relationships. We need desperately wisdom today. And so first, there's why we need wisdom. And then secondly, how do Proverbs actually help you get wisdom? How is just a little collection of sayings going to help us to, to get anywhere? Well, first, let me define what a proverb is. Um, a proverb is this, a short, concise statement um, that conveys or reveals moral truth. It's, it's like a piece of hard candy. You can't, you can't eat it quickly. It is, it's not just a jingle. It's not just a catchphrase. It's this short statement that actually conveys reality or truth in a whole new way. I find it's easier to understand this without starting from actually Proverbs, from the book of Proverbs, but let's start with kind of some just kind of Proverbs that are out there in society. Let's go to the great theologian Yogi Berra, who said this. He says, when you come to a fork in the road, take it, right? And this is true. This is true because a lot of us are prone to decision paralysis, and we're going to come to a point where we face a choice that needs to happen, and there's going to come a point where you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to take the fork in the road. You're going to have to go one way or the other. Or there's another one here that we all know. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink it. In other words, that you can help a person get so far but you're not going to be able to take them all the way there, that there's a point at which they have to do it for themselves. Um, and then sometimes Proverbs, they feel like they're in conflict with one another. So there are these kinds of phrases, many hands make light work and too many cooks spoil the broth. Well, which one is it? 
Like, the first one is true that, you know, that yes, there are times when you really need other people to help you out with that. And then there's the second one that talks about, hey, if you've got, you know, if you've got too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, it's too hard to actually get a good product at the end of it. Wisdom dictates that you will have to learn when to apply one in the one context and when to apply one in the other context. They're not in conflict with one another, are they? There's kind of a proverb. I don't remember where I learned this along the way. I don't remember who taught it to me first, but it's, it's one that's always stuck with me, that good preaching doesn't feed people. It makes people hungry. You know, a lot of people talk about being fed by a preacher or being fed by a message. To me, that's not the goal. That if, if your journey stops at the end of the message, then I have failed. Good preaching makes you want to go deeper into God's Word. Good preaching makes you want to go deeper into community, into service, into the life of God's work and kingdom in the world and in your workplace. Good preaching, boy, it should make you hungry, hungry for more. It shouldn't satisfy you. That little proverb has been with me for 20 plus years of ministry, and I'll never fully master it, but every once in a while I'll see that on a note or I'll recall it in a situation that it inspires me to go deeper into that reality. And so think of a proverb as kind of like a little briefcase helping you to take a deep truth and being able to carry it with you. It's something that makes it portable to help you to really think. And so this is why we need wisdom and how Proverbs can uniquely help us with that. And then where can you start? What can you do to get going on this journey? And this is going to sound maybe like unusual advice for about us launching into the book of Proverbs. Yes, you come or you'll tune in over the summer months on our study of the Proverbs as we kind of helicopter around the book and, and kind of get to glean some of this wisdom, but here's to me what's really important. This book was never meant to be read in isolation. It was always meant to be experienced in community. And so I think the most important thing for you to do as your homework assignment, you're like, this is church, there's no homework. There's homework, people. This is your homework assignment. Think about somebody that you admire somebody that you respect, and it's not necessarily because of success or fortune or fame or IQ, someone you admire because of the way they live their life. Ask them to coffee, go to lunch with them, hang out with them, but bring a notepad or your phone and just start asking nosy questions, and I'll bet that you'll start to learn something though you'll write something down in the same way that I started to write some things down with Dallas Willard and some things that I needed to learn, that I could chew on for a while, that I could meditate about. And then sometime in there, take the most famous proverb of all, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I had a friend in college who was helping to guide me on my journey of discipleship. He, a big part of his spiritual 
passion and that rubbed off on me was the memorization of Scripture. And for him, it was the little cards with phrases, Scripture verses on them. And I remember that we would study these passages and memorize them and test one another, and then we would, and then we would talk about them. And this is one of the ones that we had to do. And boy, did I have this wrong. Because I treated it like a promise, not as a proverb. And they're different things. Let me ask you a question. There's enough gray hair in this room for me to ask this question. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart, if you lean not on your own understanding, and if you acknowledge God in everything, does that mean that your life is a straight path and it'll never deviate or ever twist and turn? Like, let's deal with reality. Is that how life works? No. But do you know how it does work? If you do those things, you'll take your twisty path, and it'll get a little straighter. It'll start to bend towards the path that God has for you. I was treating that proverb as a promise and I was misappropriating it to my life, and I needed a wiser soul in my life to tell me what that scripture really meant. It's good advice. It's good wisdom. But I never would have gotten there without somebody to help me get there. Find somebody who you see that trusts God, who leans not on their own understanding. That's your homework. Take the first step. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to the table today, help us to grow in wisdom. We thank you for the fact that you do promise in the book of James that those who ask for wisdom, it will be given to them generously. Help us to grow in this wisdom that we might be a community that reflects the mind of Christ. And we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus and all of God's people said. Amen. There's a peace I've come to know. Though my heart and flesh may fail, there's an anchor for my soul. I can say it is well. Jesus says Peace.